today and next Sunday, we're still thinking about people who have met Jesus, just like we've been thinking about since the beginning of January. I met Jesus. What happened when people met Jesus in Bible times? Can we still meet Jesus today? We all sing lots of songs about God. And in the three-year period, 2019, 2020 and 2021, at NCF on a Sunday morning, we sang 287 different songs. We also sang 92 different hymns in those same three years on a Sunday evening. Some of those songs I find are very memorable. I I remember all the words and, and the chords for playing, and some of them aren't. But you've all got your favourites, because I've been a Christian about 38 and a half years. And through the years, different things have spoken to me. And I just think, yeah, some of the songs we sing are really wonderful. There's one verse that I was thinking about this week. Jeremiah 32, verse 17. I'm going to put it on. And then maybe if you're of an older disposition like me, you'll know exactly what the song is. Oh, Lord God, you yourself made the heavens and earth by your great power and with your outstretched arm. Nothing is too difficult for you. We could all have a sing-song with that one, couldn't we? Oh, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens. I think that is a brilliant song. Now, you might think, oh, that's very 80s. But the thing is, it's not really. It's very Bible because it's straight from the Bible. And so I love songs like that, that we sing, because it's straight from the Bible. Just a bit of a catchy tune and a few good chords here and there, and it's wonderful. Some of these songs help me to make the remembering of the Bible much easier, because words that go through my mind in my head with the music helps me to really remember what God is saying because there's truth in the lyrics, because the lyrics come straight from the Bible. It changes me. As I meditate on the words I'm singing and think about them, so I sort of have a bit of a dance at home, or I might just sing, or I might think about the words. But the words from the Bible are really helpful to me. Let's have a think about this scripture a little bit more. There's this Hebrew word, and it means... Difficult. And it has the idea of being surpassing, extraordinary, wondrous, marvellous. So it's saying, is anything too surpassing, too extraordinary for God? Also, like it says, is there anything beyond one's power? We know the answer to that, don't we? Nothing is too difficult for thee. Nothing is too difficult for thee. There is nothing beyond God's power. Last week, if you were here, we thought about not putting God in a box of our routines, our expectations, or even from what other people tell us. God is God. And what we want to try and do is let God be God in our lives as well. This morning, we're focusing on a lady who reached out literally to God in faith. And for 12 years, She'd been to many doctors 
and probably other people as well. And she'd put her faith in these other people. The trouble was, after 12 years, her hope levels were really low. And yet, she put her hope in someone else again. I really like how the message describes how she put her hope. It says this. And by the way, these are some more verses that you can look at to talk about this Hebrew word as well. But this is what the message says. She went to uh, Jesus and she had a risk of faith. And that really spoke to me this week when I was thinking about her and thinking about she wasn't just sort of sitting hoping something would happen, but she did something about it. She took a risk of faith. What I want us to do is think about her story this morning, how she met Jesus and what happened to her. We've got the synoptic gospels there, Mark 5, Matthew 9 and Luke 8. And if you read through those, especially the first one that Alex read for us, you'll get quite a good idea about what happened. I want you to picture the scene. We're not quite sure where it happened, the location of it. Some people think it was Capernaum, which is at the top end of the Sea of Galilee. For 12 years, she had a physical and a spiritual condition. She had persistent bleeding because of her menstrual cycle. Now, physically, of course, this would have been awful for her and for her family as well. She'd have to deal with the blood. She'd have been moody, irritable. Maybe she had cramps sometimes. She might not have slept well. And she was probably a bit smelly. None of that's very good if it's just for a few months or if it's just for a few days every month. But she had it persistently for 12 years. That would have been horrendous, wouldn't it? Even today, it would be nasty. But doctors would sort it out, some sort of iron tablet or something. I can't quite remember when I looked it up this week. Because being a man, it doesn't affect me, does it really? Not sort of directly. But the thing is, in those days, 2,000 years ago, they didn't think about iron and different things that they could eat. Apart from one thing, the suggestion 2,000 years ago, and I looked this up just to make sure I wasn't uh, making it up, was that if you suffered from this sort of thing, what you had to do was find a grain in cattle dung and then swallow it. That's what they did. They thought, yep, if you're ill and you need to get better... That's what you need to do. But she'd been to lots of doctors over 12 years, and she wasn't any better. She was anemic. She was exhausted. She would have been desperate and afraid. But it wasn't just the physical part that was debilitating for her. She wasn't just physically weak and financially poor from the condition But it also cut her up from her community because she was ritually unclean. Perhaps no big deal for herself if it was just once a month. But after 12 years, that had been so terrible. She'd have been shunned 
by her family and the community because they didn't want to go near her because, because she wasn't clean. If she touched them, they would have been unclean. They wouldn't have been able to worship God. They would have, had, they would have been defiled. I wonder what that was like. I wonder what her family was like. That was hard for her, wasn't it? She met with Jesus. But there wasn't just like we have maybe at the end of a Sunday service, or come to the front if we can pray for you, or join a service, let's just pray for each other, and we just do it quietly. It was a noisy, jostling, big crowd that she was a part of. Didn't happen in a synagogue, like in a church where it was quiet, but it was on a noisy road. People were coming and going. There's this Greek word there, synthilubo, and it means means to make narrow by pressure. So to get the idea, if if it was the old days and we could get people coming up to the front, it would be easy. But I might have got some of you to come to the front and just see how narrow and things I could be. We've all been in big crowds. I've been to plenty of music concerts, sports things, political rallies as well. Hundreds, thousands of people about. And you can't go where you want to. It's the crowd that's taking you where it's going, isn't it? This Greek word is only used twice in the whole New Testament. And both times are in Mark chapter 5. Different people translate it various ways. They say that the crowd pressed in on him. They thronged about him. Pressed tightly against him. Pushed against him. And in the Amplified it says something even better. So you can really picture it. It pressed him from all sides. So as almost to suffocate him. I think it's a pretty clear picture what the crowd was like. I reckon all sorts of people would have been there. Maybe burly fishermen, although I don't know if that's a stereotype or not, but big men, sort of fishermen. Maybe some younger children. Maybe even some tax collectors. Do you remember Zacchaeus who went up the sycamore tree in in Jericho because he was by a big crowd and he wanted to see Jesus? Maybe there were some religious people, scribes and Pharisees, some older people. Maybe there were some nosy people, because there's always nosy people about, aren't there? And definitely there would have been some Roman soldiers about. So this big crowd would probably have been made up of all kinds of people. Being in a big crowd can be intimidating, especially if you're weaker, ill, a lady, maybe. People are jostling each other for space. A jostling crowd, I think, isn't the first place that I'd choose to meet God. And yet, this is exactly where she met God. In a busy, noisy, jostling crowd, where is where this lady met Jesus. If you've been joining us from the start of January you'll have heard how different people met Jesus in various ways. And often, these encounters were in surprising places. Jesus met people in the wilderness, at a well, in a fiery furnace. Jesus met people when they weren't ready to meet him. 
He also met people when they weren't fully, when they were full of despair and heartache. And now we're meeting someone who's ill, and she's on a crowded road with lots of noise. And why did she do that? Jesus was there. That was the attraction. Jesus was there. So what happened then? Jesus would have been wearing a prayer shawl. Maybe you've seen pictures of them, uh, sort of Jewish men wearing them now, and they had tassels on the four corners in blue and white. And this is all explained in Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41. She thought that if she touched the edge of that prayer shawl, she would be healed. Was her theology correct? Did she get that right? Did she even know who Jesus was? Did she know that Jesus was the Son of God? Did she know that he was not just a miracle worker and a, a sort of someone who said good things, but he made the earth? Did she know all these things when she touched out in a jostling crowd? We're very fortunate in having the Bible. And sometimes we get more questions from reading the Bible than answers, don't we? But the brilliant thing is, that lady, with all her unsureness and not knowing what was going on, and not sort of uh, having heartache from seeing all these doctors and losing lots of money through that, she still knew she had to take a risk of faith and reach out and touch Jesus. I wonder how she'd heard about Jesus. Remember, she was shunned by community around her. Or was she just one of those nosy people that was just thinking, oh, I think I want to sort of know what's going on here. And then maybe God spoke to her and said, go and touch Jesus. He's in the centre of the crowd. N.T. Wright translates her thoughts in verse 28 as saying, I will be rescued. It's the Greek verb, sozo, and it means to save and to preserve. And it's got the idea of being delivered out of danger into a place of safety. So you are in one place, and then you're saved, and you're in another place. So she was thinking, I'm in this place of despair, of illness, of being shunned by my relatives, by friends, by strangers. I want to be over here. I want to have a good life. I want to have a normal life. And she thought, if I touch Jesus, that's all I need to do. She'd have to fight her way through that crowd, though. All these people jostling, remember the burly fishermen? All these people sort of saying, oh, what's Jesus saying now? What's going on? But remember, for 12 years, she'd had in her mind that she can't go near people. She wasn't allowed to do that. Because otherwise she'd defile them as she was defiled. But now she's getting her elbows out, if that's what she was doing. I bet it wasn't an easy way to get to the middle of the crowd to see Jesus. She had to fight her way through. Even though she knew what she was doing wasn't a good thing because of what their community thought about. I'm going to defile these people. 
but I so want to know Jesus, or I so want to be healed, and it's Jesus who's going to do it. Jesus was busy. He just healed another person. You can read all about it in in Mark chapter 5. And now this chap called Jairus, who organized what happened in the local synagogue and looked after the building there, his daughter was very ill. And so Jesus now was with with Jairus. And you can imagine uh, Jairus saying, come on, come on, my daughter is dying. Come and see her. But this other woman, this woman with the issue of blood, touches Jesus. And it's almost like Jesus presses pause on what he's doing. Because he says something very important. Daughter. Daughter. For 12 years, all people had said to her is, keep away from me. You're you're defiled. I can't go close to you. And now Jesus says, daughter. And it's not just any Greek word. This is the only time in the New Testament I've recorded, that have got recorded, that Jesus says this. It's a very intimate, loving family term. And there it is, fugiter, a very special term. And in the message it says, daughter, you took a risk of faith and now you're healed and whole. Live well, live blessed, be healed of your plague. I wonder how that woman felt. She'd been healed now. she touched Jesus and she felt that she was healed. But what did Jesus' words do to her? Daughter. I can imagine looking into her eyes as well as he said it. And he knew how this woman felt. How for all those years people weren't going close to her. And now he says something really loving and kind, something affectionate, something intimate. You might have noticed that I've been putting the Greek letter theta at the beginning of all my bullet points today. Or maybe you didn't notice, but I'm just pointing it out anyway. Because I was really touched by Jesus saying, daughter, to this lady. And theta is the third word, the first letter of the Greek word, daughter. So I just wanted to say to myself, this is so important. Jesus is speaking to her. He didn't just heal her, but he spoke to her in a loving way. So that's why I put theta at the beginning of all the bullet points, just so you can think as well. He's saying something amazing to her. He's not saying, oh, I'm busy. Oh, look at the time. I'm going to Jairus' house. He stopped. Daughter. He wasn't thinking of her uncleanness because she wasn't unclean now. She was healed. He said, daughter. It matters more what Jesus calls you and describes you as than what other people call you and describe you as. Jesus loves you. You are important to Jesus. But Jesus didn't just give her a gift of healing. Because Jesus didn't just come to bring us gifts. Jesus came to give of himself. 
He didn't just want to see the lady healed. He gave her time. He focused on her. He said, I love you. Just by saying that word, I'll say it again. Daughter. He was saying, I love you. You're important. Jesus just didn't heal her physically on that day. But now her life was restored. Jesus changed her life. It wasn't just an illness that went away. But now she wasn't shunned by the population around her. She wasn't shunned and ostracized by her family. She was healed. She was clean. And now people could be with her again. Her life was changed radically. John 10.10 The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. And that's what Jesus did with that lady. Remember? Daughter, I love you. You're healed. Go in peace. Jesus came to bring abundant life to her. Jesus comes to bring abundant life in our troubles and our sorrows and on our ooh, queries in our lives too. So her life was radically changed. And that gives me some good thoughts about how we should meet God as well. What should we do before, during, and after meeting with God. We were created by God so that we could have a good relationship with him. Sometimes I read about Adam and Eve walking through the uh, Garden of Eden, and I think, wow, God was there. And then we know the fall happened, but God was just there and chatting. We're meant to have a good relationship with God. But there's lots of things we can do as we meet God to make it a good thing and a positive thing. We need to consecrate ourselves. And if you look at the onward, either if you've given a copy today or if you looked at it in a Tuesday email as a digital copy, you'll see part of it this week is how do we holiness and I put there, the Bible is often very clear when you read it. I am the Lord your God. Keep yourselves holy for me. Sanctify, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Joshua chapter 3 verse 5 is something that's really helpful as well. I'll read that to us. Then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves. For tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. Set yourself apart. Make yourself holy. But it's consecrate yourselves. It's not just waiting for God to come in a flash and sort us out. But we have to make that decision to say, yes, Lord, I'm set apart for you, for making you famous, for making your name glorified. It's a common word in the uh, Old Testament, this Hebrew word just there, 
Kaudash, it says. It's very positive to set ourselves apart for God. It's very positive to be dedicated to God. So consecrate, consecrate yourself. But also, the lady that we've been reading about and thinking about in Mark 5.33, it says very explicitly, she came to Jesus with fear and trembling. She'd just been healed. She'd just known the power of God in her life. And she knew she was changed. And now she didn't just sort of say, oh, I'm, I'm going to touch Jesus. But I'm speaking to him. And as we speak to God every day, throughout the day, I want to remember that as well. Not just to turn up really sort of as a pal, as a, as a friend, although we are, but say, Lord, I worship you. I'm sorry for what I've done this week. That wasn't great for the things I've thought, the things I've said. Lord, will you change me? Lord, will you help me? I consecrate, I set myself apart. I want to come to God in more fear and trembling over these next few weeks and months than I've done in the past. Because we serve an awesome God. He's alive. And we are so not like him, even though we want to be. Tell myself and others, Psalm 9, verse 1. And uh, that says this. This is telling ourselves about what God has done. Psalm 9, verse 1. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. I will recount all of your wondrous deeds. So we're saying we're going to come to God as a consecrated people, a special people. We're going to come in fear and trembling about because we know God is awesome. Also, we're going to say to ourselves sometimes and to other people sometimes what God has done in our lives as well. I want to speak to myself sometimes what God has done because talking to yourself is really good because we can forget what's gone on, can't we? And if we just pray and say, thank you, Lord, for what you've done, like many of the Psalms do, that really brings us to remembrance of what God has done already and prepares us not just for things today, but what God's got in store for us over the next few weeks and months as well. It can be part of our communal worship to say what God has done. I remember some people give great testimonies, and now and again we have a special Sunday when it's just mainly testimonies. But when people just say, oh, God has done this in my life, and they're recounting it to us, it does something special in us as well, doesn't it? It makes us think, oh, we serve a great God. We serve a wonderful Lord who's our saviour. I met Jesus. I would love it. If whatever we do this week, as we meet Jesus, we meet him intentionally. We press in actively like that lady did. If she'd have just stood at the edge of the crowd, oh, I hope he sees me. 
We know that could still have happened because God is all-powerful. He can do anything. But she wasn't content on just thinking, oh, I'll stand here and see what happens. She pressed forward, got her elbows out. She got into that crowd and touched Jesus. That's a lesson for all of us as well, to be intentional as we say, yes, Lord, I want to know you more. I'm not content with what I was like a year ago. I want to move on with you, Lord. Help me to know you. Help me to see you working through my life. We need to be ready anywhere. Remember the different places we've said already? Jesus met people in the wilderness, at a well, in a fiery furnace, on a noisy road. God doesn't just meet us on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening or a Monday morning. He doesn't just meet us when we're grouped together as a a collection of believers. God meets us when we're at work, when we're walking down the road, when we least expect it. If our hearts are open, the giver of life, of abundant life, can come to us and say, daughter, son. And just with those words, our lives can be changed. A lot of people would have been knowing about Jesus in Capernaum. He he went there a lot. Perhaps they were curious about him, like this lady was. Maybe some people there, like we said earlier, were nosy. Maybe others just wanted to be entertained. They knew that Jesus would do his thing. And Agatha Christie hadn't written any novels then. And so there was nothing to read like that. And Strictly Come Dancing wasn't on the television. I don't think anything was on the television in Bible times, come to think of it. But the thing was, Jesus was there. And they wanted to press in, whether it was curiosity, nosiness, or that still small voice in their ear saying, come to me. They went, and lots of people were changed. But we need to be of a pure heart as we come to God, as we meet with God. Jesus called that woman who'd been ostracized by her community by a beautiful name. He was tender. He was intimate just by speaking those few words and stopping, even though he was busy. He showed that lady not just what it was to be healed, but he showed that lady love and kindness. She took a risk in pushing through that crowd and meeting Jesus. Will I take a risk with Jesus this week and maybe push through a crowd, that sort of crowd of noise and things that are going on in my life, circumstances and crises that are happening? Will I just push through all of that and say, Jesus, I just need to come to you. I need to have that touch from you. I'm going to take a risk this week in praying, Lord, I can't do this life on my own. Be in a driving seat. Be the Lord of what I want to do. Because I certainly am not making a good job of it. Is that something that you want to say to God as well? Lord, 
help me to take that risk. Can you hear the tender name that Jesus is calling you this morning? Daughter. Son. I love you. Jesus came to give us abundant life. Let's take that risk of faith this week. Let's say, Lord, it's over to you. I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. So let's stay close to Almighty God this week, obeying what he tells us and seeking him as a priority above everything else. So I'm going to pray, and then Jill's going to help us to respond. Lord, we thank you for the example of this lady. She'd had years of being shunned and despised by other people. And yet, Lord, when you touched her, you stopped in all your business of going from A to B. You stopped and called her daughter. You showed her love and tenderness. Lord, as we stop what we're doing several times over this next few days and we focus on you, Lord, help us to hear your tender voice speaking to us. Help us, Lord, to touch that garment that you're wearing today, to be close to you and to know your presence in our lives. Amen.